Welcome to the Living in Alignment podcast. My name is Amy Landry. Through a collage of conversations, here we distill mindful living and timeless wisdom within a modern, everyday context. Thank you for being here. Julie Smurden is a writer, storyteller, international yoga teacher, and perennial student who has been sharing yoga, meditation, and inspiration for two decades. Privileged to have studied under master teachers, Julie offers these practices as a means to empower, connect, and inspire people to cultivate a richer, more conscious experience of life. With her trademark warmth, humor, and enthusiasm, Julie presents these concepts in a masterful style that blends strong technique with perceptive insights that ignite the soul. Julie has led Sri Yoga in Brisbane into the forefront of the Australian yoga scene as the ultimate destination for world-class yoga and meditation education and teacher development. A teacher's teacher, Julie's trainings have produced some of Brisbane's best-loved instructors. In addition to her own trainings, Julie is widely known for bringing some of the top teachers in the world to Australia to share their wisdom. Having earned certifications in both power and Anusara yoga, Julie's extensive knowledge of biomechanics and therapeutics has led to her ongoing work with Cricket Australia. Her work has also been featured in Australian Yoga Journal, Australian Yoga Life and In Style magazine. Welcome to the podcast, Julie. It is so wonderful to be with you, albeit virtually, uh, but so nice to see you. (laughs) It's nice to see you. It's been a while. Yes, it sure has. I've always admired the work that you've been doing here in Australia, and I'm really grateful for the support that you have shown toward me, but I've come to realize I really don't know your story. (laughs) Would you be happy to share this? How did yoga become a part of your life, teaching, moving to Australia? I would be delighted. Just uh, grab your tea. It's a little bit of a long story. (laughs) (laughs) I, I I first dabbled in yoga back in the 1980s, um, and it was mostly as cross-training. So I, have, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disorder when I was 13. And kind of as a young kid, a teenager, I was in and out of hospitals and that kind of thing. But by the time I got to my later teens and early 20s, I was doing pretty well. And not consciously, but somehow I adopted this idea that if I beat my body into submission through this really rigorous physical regimen, that I would somehow have mastery over my body and I, you know, like I, I wouldn't have any more issues with this autoimmune thing. So that was my paradigm really from the time I was about 18 or 19. And when I started, when I, after college, when I, when I went to work in an office, I found aerobics And there was a gym in the place I worked. And so my lunch hour, I started going there. And pretty soon I was teaching aerobics. And that was kind of put me on the trajectory of being in the movement community, which I have been really since the early 80s. Um, And I, there was some of the places I worked, there were, there was yoga, but yoga was still very much kind of under the radar at that time. But there were a few teachers around and, and one of them was at one of the places where I was working. And so I would just go because I felt like I needed to be more flexible, really, is kind of how I did it. And then that was it. Like once a week, maybe every so often, I would just drop in and stretch a little bit. And, and that was really it. 
But then in my 30s, I had, after 14 years of complete remission, I had a really bad exacerbation of the autoimmune thing. And all the things that had worked in the past allopathic medically didn't work. And so I ended up being um, really unwell. I had three little kids and I was really unwell, housebound basically for about nine months. And I finally, my doctor said, you need to look at having your colon removed. It was a, it, ulcerative colitis was the disease. And so I, I didn't want to do that. So I went to get a second opinion and I went up to Mayo Clinic in the States where you know, I was living in Chicago at the time. And when I went there, they found a heart problem that was also related. So I went up for one thing, three days later, I was having my chest sawn open. And then five weeks after that, I had to go back up and have my colon removed. So I had heart surgery and then I had this other, you know, hugely transfiguring or I guess distrans, what's the word I'm looking for? Where they mess you up, disforming, <laughs> that's what I'm looking for. Um, surgeries, you know, a scar is like here to here and, you know, just a little bit in the middle that didn't have a scar. And I couldn't even take a shower without getting out of the shower to lie down in the middle. I mean, it was, it was, yeah, I can't even explain how I felt. And this yoga teacher said, I, I would like to come and do yoga with you. And, you know, I'm thinking she meant like warrior two and stuff. And I, and I said, I can't, I can't do yoga. And she said, no, this, I mean, we're going to do things you can do. And so I'm like, okay. So she came and she just laid me out on the floor in my bedroom. And at that time, like just laying flat like that was quite uncomfortable. And she just had me breathe. That was it. So we just did the most basic pranayama. And when I left, when she left after those sessions, I felt different. And, you know, I was on all kinds of med medication and all that stuff. So it wasn't like I was up and, you know, running around the house, but I was clearer. I felt, I just felt back in my body somehow a little bit more. And so as we just continued to work together, when I was ready to go back to teaching aerobics, um, I thought I've, I need to learn what, ha I just want to understand what just happened, you know, because I really understood in my spirit that what the work I had done with her was integral to my healing. And so I thought I, people need to know about this. Like, this is amazing. So I never used to admit this, but I, you know, I was already teaching and certified, you know, American council on exercise and all that stuff. And so I went and did a weekend yoga teacher training <laughs> and got a certificate. And the next Monday I was, you know, out teaching, but I knew, you know, right away that that was not what I was looking for. So I kept looking, you know, for, for a teacher. And I, I had did my little time in power yoga, but even then that kind of, uh, it, it was went along with the paradigm of beating my body into submission. Um, because the, the style that I was working with or the teacher that I was working with, it was intense and it was quite vigorous. And I still knew that that wasn't exactly what I was looking for, although I learned a lot. Um, and then that was when I found Anasara. And it was really through winding up in a class with a teacher that I didn't like, <laughs> who um, whose teaching was so transformed on that weekend, that it was an evening actually, that I stayed after to ask him what had changed for him. Because he, he had gone from being a teacher that, you know, like I would leave his classes feeling small. And I just avoided his classes to go into this class. And I left and he was like, 
he was, he was completely different. So anyways, he invited me to go, go to Boston for a weekend workshop with this group of people. And I was so intrigued that I went and I didn't really know anybody except this guy. And, and, um, and this was a workshop with John friend. And that was kind of the beginning of my, of my thing with Anasara and Anasara, like here in Australia, you know, it's not really talked about so much what happened over there, but, um, for all the foibles and all the issues that we had with Anasara, there's no denying that the education that we got was incredible. I mean, we just, it, it was amazing. John, you know, had his issues for sure, but he was a masterful teacher and the toolbox he gave us was, was great. And, and when we trained with him, we never knew who was going to show up on those weekends. You know, sometimes it was like Paul Muller Ortega or Krishna Das in the early days, you know, would be there doing Kirtan and Chantala and, you know, these amazing philosophy professors and stuff like that. And we were just like, Oh, cool. Looking back on it now, you know, when I have conversations with other, with, you know, friends that were part of that era, we just did not understand the value of the education that we were getting. And I don't think there's anything really that parallels it today. I, I must admit, I, a lot of my favorite teachers over the years have been trained in Anyasara. Yeah. It seems like such a complete approach, like just the application of the asana elements, but then also bringing in so much the nectar of yoga itself just seemed to be there just had to add that because i really think despite what has happened you know in terms of everything uh, which many of the listeners probably have no idea about well. and we won't go down that rabbit hole but um but this, the, <laughs> the, the the methodology itself honestly yeah. i was considering going and training it because i really really loved it it's yeah. great but anyway you continue with your story oh that's that's pretty much it and, and you know that weekend i knew that i had found what i was looking for and Philosophically, I mean, what you said is really true. And, and the way I, I think of it is that the style really, it addresses all three aspects of a person. So like in the Gita, you've got the three paths, you know, the, um, the, the karma yoga or the kriya yoga is the yoga of action. And that would be like the athlete in you, the people that want the workout. And then we've got the mystics, you know, the, um, the yana yoga, the knowledge. That's for the people that want the technique. You know, they want to know how to do poses. And then we've got the, the, the karma yogis, you know, the, um, the, the lovers oh, the and the, the bhakti yogis. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Um, mm. And that's the spiritual side. The mystics like that part. So in one class, you get something that addresses all three of those people that we all have inside of us. And I think that's part of the magic of that, of that style. Totally. Yeah. And so then you came, I mean, you've told me a little bit about your story, but how did you arrive, like coming to Australia and then <laughs> building this huge, incredible community in Australia? What's the story behind all of that? Well, so that actually goes back to being sick. So about a year after, um, oh gosh, it wasn't even a year. It was only six months um, after the, the surgeries. The, the colon surgery was actually two surgeries. So I had the first one uh, at the time I had the heart surgery, but then the second one was, was six months later. And in that six months, my mom passed away at 59, just suddenly and completely unexpectedly. And um, yeah, there was just all kinds of stuff that had happened and my marriage was failing and, and um, 
we had decided to separate and I was in a, a support forum and this was back in 99 or early 2000 when um, there was no internet really like it was dial up it was AOL or whatever <laughs> and I, I was I was facing this second surgery and I was terrified and I was actually contemplating not doing it because what I had an ostomy bag for those six months while well, what they did inside healed and I was just really kind of considering keeping the ostomy bag and not putting myself through anymore because I felt like I, I didn't feel like I could handle anymore really and so I was just like online <laughs> dial up after five minutes waiting to get on and I found a support group for people who had this exact surgery like what are the chances of that and so I was on it for a little while and I found uh, after a while there's this post from a guy who was my age who was having his second surgery on the same day and so I, I messaged him and just said hey would you be open to corresponding and his name was Lane Smerton. <laughs> so that's how we met. So he was here in Brisbane and I was in Chicago. And we started just, you know, strictly as friends, just emailing and, and getting to know each other. And I thought it was really cool to have a friend from Australia. And he thought it was really cool to have a friend from America. And after about a year and a bit, um, he, he said, I think we need to meet. And so that in, in really... That was kind of the furthest thing from my mind. In the month or so before he said that, I was kind of starting to think, oh. But just never even occurred to me that he would be interested in, you know, with all the stuff I had going on. Um, but yeah, so we did meet and we were married a year later. Wow. Yeah, so he moved to Chicago and we were there for the first seven years. And then we moved to Brisbane in 2009. So special. Yeah. And to think that you had to go through all of that and if you hadn't, you guys would never have met. Honestly, I would, I would do it all again, you know. Yeah. And I don't know, I think it's a little bit like what's happened with COVID too. When everything gets stripped back like that, you know, like it was for me, and you've got nothing but, wow, life is really fragile. And mm. it, I don't know, it just kind of lays things out for you in a way that you don't have the opportunity to see them any other way. Mm. I guess it's that element of trying to really surrender into the reality that we don't have control over things as much as we perhaps think we do or hope that we do, um, yeah. you know, so many lessons to be learned in there. And so as you reflect upon these years and all this incredible transformation and certainly challenge, is there a, a book that stands out that perhaps really refined your traje trajectory or that really helped you? in just really processing that everything that you went through? There have been a lot of books, actually. Like, it's funny because Lane and I both love to read um, inspirational stuff. And, and we've gone through, like, these kind of phases with different teachers of that genre. And I think back in, back in the early days, one of the ones who really influenced me was Wayne Dyer. Um, we did a lot of, you know, both of us did a lot of reading of his stuff and then, you know, there came a point where I felt like I was ready to move on to something different. And um, I'm trying to think who, who came after that. And interspersed through that, all of that was the amazing training I was getting through Anasara too, you know, because I had grown up in a very conservative, very um, religious Christian home. And so that um, philosophy, while I did, did all the things, you know, for quite some time 
it never really felt real to me. And I really, I, that was really highlighted by my mom's death when I was reading through some of her journals. And I just remember thinking, I can't relate to this. Like this isn't. Mm. And so when I did first hear the, the thread of Tantra that, that we learned through Anasara, which is Kashmir Shaivism, which is a, it's a householder philosophy. It's, it's for people with lives, you know, not people who have gone off to join a monastery. Um, it, I just felt like I came home, you know, cause I, I obviously, I had grown up with spirit and the whole idea of spirituality, you know, in that one type of mindset. And once I walked away from that, I even tried being an atheist for a little while. It, it just didn't, that didn't fit for me either. And so, so when I heard this philosophy, I just, I felt like my heart had been, you know, exploded open. It just felt like, it just felt like coming home. And so that the study that I've done, of that with, you know, various different teachers has been pretty integral to my spiritual development, I guess. Mm, mm. So much power and just juice and wisdom in the ancient philosophies of India. And I think so many people get that when they have the experience and they're exposed to it. It's just like captivating. One amazing book that I'm I'm reading, I'm rereading now is um, Mary Magdalene Revealed. Have you read that? No. Okay, so this one, this is a must read for every woman, I reckon, anyway. But it really actually brought together, tied up a whole bunch of loose ends between what I've come to understand now and what I grew up learning. Right. And there are, well, you just have to read it for yourself, but there are more, <laughs> there are more similarities than there are differences. And I think the subtitle for it is The Christianity We Haven't Tried Yet. And it's really a, 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 a doctrine of love. And I don't know, it, it's just, it, it was really powerful. I shared, I've shared it with quite a few people. Yeah, well, you know, there's like, you know, a lot of Kriya yoga lineages as well that uh, very much speak to when Jesus came to India and, you know, learned a lot about the philosophy from India and the different, you know, Vedic systems and, and so forth. And many, you know, teachers that I know who have, you know, different deities in their home, they have a picture of Jesus Christ as well. And I think that there is definitely the potentiality of that integration um, when we can get it out of the kind of intensely, uh, you know, rigid paradigms There can be a really beautiful, you know, weaving of all these spiritual paths. This book also talks about the history of Christianity and, and basically the patriarchy that that has formed it the way it is you know throwing out key writings and you know that aren't available and and actually really aren't available like we're completely buried or gone um Mm. different things like that so it's it was a fascinating read i'm really interested in in comparative religion (laughs) someday in my free time i would love to go back to uni and do a and study that but um yeah, it's it, it's a fascinating read, and it's an easy read too. Lots of anecdotes, and it's really good. Megan Watterson, I think, is the name. Yeah, right. If we speak to tradition, and you can interpret that however you like in terms of yoga lineages, spiritual tradition, particularly because you have taught a lot of not only students but teachers. You've trained a lot of teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you feel that we, as a part of the yoga community, can really 
choose to honor tradition or perhaps how do you choose to honor tradition? What do you, what are your thoughts around that? Well, I think it depends on, on what, how you define tradition or what kinds of traditions you're talking about. Like I love tradition, like in my family, I love, I have, we have all our little traditions and I'm, I'm love that. And I think as a, as a cancer, I'm really into, I'm really into having my kids here for certain things and doing, you know, doing holidays a certain way and that kind of thing. But um, I also think that tradition needs to adapt to culture or the era, you know? So um, one of the things that I've always admired about the Hindu philosophies, the way I understand it is that, you know, because there's such a long, long history what a lot of the schools of thought have done have, have been to take the, the the nectar from the previous school of thought and build on it and, you know, help it to be applicable to whatever time they're in now. And one of the things that I have always been really passionate about is finding a way to communicate the fullness of these philosophies in a way that people aren't don't feel scared by. Does that make sense? So yes. translating it without dumbing it down has just kind of been my life's work, <laughs> I think. Yeah, so it's like you're not diluting it, but you're right. adapting it in the context of who you're speaking to. Exactly. So because, you know, especially, you know, after I started to study Kashmir Shaivism, I mean, like, I think as humans in our hearts, we all know that life at its base is good, even though shitty things happen. And I I'm and I'm a perfect example of that. I mean, I've been through some really difficult stuff. At the, you know, at the base of what life is all about, there's goodness. No baby is born bad. I'm sorry, you know, like even the baddest bad guy was a tiny baby who needed his mom. So that's a message that I, I think everybody wants to hear and 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 some level believes is true. Absolutely. Yeah. Um so I guess for me, so honoring tradition is, yeah, is finding a way to, again, to communicate the fullness of the practices as we know them and the philosophy without diluting it, but in a way that, that feels relevant and not airy-fairy or scary. Yeah. It's, it's tricky, though, you know, because, it is. <laughs> cause, you know, you, you're at risk of being seen as appropriating, but you're, but you're, adapting so that it can be re well received you don't want to as you say intimidate people because then they're not actually able to receive the teachings so yeah. um and then, and as you say the times are different too so you know five thousand years ago life would look very different as well so it's um, right. yeah i guess it's not black and white but it's uh and it's a fine little dance to get it right yeah appropriation is a really it's an interesting subject to me and, and i'm not quite i haven't quite formed my how to articulate how I feel about it yet. Mm. But I do think that there's appropriation across all cultures, especially now, you know, where the world is so, you know, we're, it's so global. Everybody, everybody knows everything about everybody and, you know, different aspects of culture. I saw um, something uh, online the other day. It was about, I think it's, is it K-pop? The Korean pop that, I don't know. Apparently there's this whole... I can't remember where I saw this, but there's this whole thing, and I think it's called K-pop, and it's like it's like rap, but it's 
these South Korean kids that are doing it. And it was like the New York rappers were complaining that they were culturally appropriating their, you know, their, their dress and their music and stuff like that. And I thought, okay, well, there's another example of it, you know? So is it, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. And and you can see both sides of the coin. Absolutely. It's, it's a compliment. It's like that imitation is a sincerest form of flattery type thing. And then there's also, hey, like a respect, you know, for culture and tradition. And yeah, it's, yeah. I think it's just a conversation that we need to continue to have, you know, yeah. particularly in the context of the yoga community very much. Um, you know, and, and again, because you have been teaching many teachers and training and working with teacher development, what do you find is, you know, one or one or two of the most common misconceptions that you come across, um, you know, that new teachers might have that they think about being a yoga teacher? Uh, <laughs> the first one that comes to mind is I'm going to make a million dollars. Yeah, no, we, we both know that's not true. Um, misconceptions about being a yoga teacher. I think the one of the things that I see a lot, especially when I'm working with teachers that are already teaching, is this feeling that there's a character they need to play. So, for example, when I was in Chicago, I taught a training in Chicago over the last couple of years, and I was staying with my sister-in-law who and my brother, who, and she was just starting to dabble in yoga, and she came back from class one night, and she said... It was the weirdest thing. Like I was, I walked into this waiting room and this woman was there and she was like, Hey, hey great to see you. Da, 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 da. Like she was really cool. And then I walked into the yoga room and she was like, hello. You know, and she was like a completely <laughs> different person. And then she talked in this weird voice and it was like, it wasn't even the same person. That, that kind of thing, I think is, it makes connection with your students really, really difficult. Um, so I always, tell teachers in the yoga room, you know, don't, don't feel like you have to use a different voice or, you know, be a different way. Just be yourself, make your, make your teaching conversational. Like you're, like you're talking to one student or, or even giving a private, you know? Um, So that would be one of them. You you don't have to be somebody that you're not. Which would be so exhausting. Oh yeah. And I had one teacher um, trainee years ago who kind of talked like a game show host. So <laughs> it would be like, step that right foot forward, you know, like that, like that kind of thing. So it's just, you know, the more authentic that you can be in the seat of the teacher, I think the more um, effective your offering is. You do you, in other words. Yeah, you do you. Um, the other thing is you don't have to be able to do all the poses. I mean, you know, yeah, you do need to have you know, you need to be adept and you need to have, have practiced. Um, but you know, there are plenty of poses that I can't do. And I, you know, I tend to not teach those poses or I recommend, especially for beginner teachers, not to teach those poses. Um, you know, further along now I am in my life and in my career, there are poses I used to be able to do that I can't do anymore or that I choose not to do anymore. And I do still teach those poses, but. And I suppose that's just a reflection of if you're in, tension in teaching yoga is coming from a place of a sincere desire to teach and embody the essence of yoga which is perhaps a bit of a cliche thing to say but you know I'm speaking to the whole the system in its entirety not just the asana then the the advancement of asana is not so important and as you say like it needs to be a presumed level of knowledge of course and uh 
previous commitment to the practice over a certain amount of time to be able to teach other people. Definitely. Um, but yeah, it's just this, I, you know, and I think, you know, we have to look to social media too, which has really put the pressure on a lot of teachers to think that they need to be able to do certain postures and that makes them a good teacher, which really we definitely know it doesn't because just because you might be able to handstand and do all the tricky things doesn't actually mean that you can change people's lives, you know, through teaching. Exactly. Exactly. There can be brilliant practitioners who just, and teaching itself is a completely separate skill from yoga. Like, and that's one of the things I think is lacking in a lot of teacher trainings is how to teach people to teach a pose, you know, like it's, how do you get people with your words to step and turn and, you know, do the things that you're, that you want them to do to make the shapes I'm using air quotes now (laughs) that you're, you know, that you're asking them to make. Yeah. And, and also too, I think as a, as a student, the best teachers are those that take me to something that is not quite so physical. Like when I'm in an asana, when I'm in a posture, my experience becomes so much more internal and less about the external and like the full experience that I'm having. And I think that that is a really wonderful teacher that can take you beyond the pose into exactly. the, more su- the subtle, the subtleties of the practice, you know. Exactly. And it's the simpler poses where you find that stuff most often, I think. And the stillness, yeah. not rushing through a million miles an hour, which Agreed. we are all conditioned to doing. Um, so for you personally, uh, speaking of students, what does studentship look like in life for you right now? I mean, I'm sure there's been lots of learnings over the past few months. <laughs> COVID's been my teacher lately, um, for real. You know, it's really interesting because one of the things about owning a larger studio and all the responsibilities that go along with that is that full disclosure, I mean, it's taken me away from my studentship way more than I would like. Um, so one of my goals, you know, for the coming year is to get back to that. Um, I do feel like I, am a student of life. <laughs> that sounds really trite, but um, I am I am pretty open to learning from most experiences and people that come my way. I know I know what I don't know, and what I don't know is a lot. <laughs> and there, you know, there are amazing people. I've been so lucky to have just incredible people in my life who've been mentors in all different areas. I mean, yoga for sure, but also in business and um, relationships and all different things. Um, So I like to think that I'm open, you know, I'm a student of these people to these people that have been such gifts in my life. Who do you feel would be, and I know this will probably be really difficult to say, but who do you feel (laughs) would have been the biggest mentor or teacher, particularly perhaps, let's say, in the context of yoga, you know, who do you think's really been that person that's shaped you in many ways? You can pick a couple if you need to, but. Yeah, it would have to be a couple. If Because, I mean, my biggest teacher, I think of all, is my husband, without a doubt. And particularly in the off the mat of yoga sense, you know, because all of life is yoga, anything, any kind of relationship is yoga. Um, so he's for sure been, he's been one of them. Um, in terms of asana, 
a lot of my Anasara colleagues, I mean, you know, John Friend, obviously, um, but a lot of my Anasara colleagues, um, Desiree Ramba is one that comes to mind, Ross Rayburn. Um, those would be two. Elena, Elena, not, not as much in the asana as, as more on the, in the philosophical and spiritual side. Um, yeah, I think those would probably be the top ones. Yeah, there's a tremendous number of exceptional teachers in the United States that have come through the Anyasara system. There's not a lot of Anyasara teachers, you know, teachers that came through that training here in Australia. There's a few, um, but yeah. certainly not as, as many as the United States. And obviously, you've, you've brought out so many of these incredible teachers from the United States uh, to Australia, which we're incredibly grateful for, which <laughs> has been so magnificent. Uh, so speaking a little bit more about you, um, and I know that the last few months are obviously have been really intense and really big, but in general, what does, uh, you know, how does ritual and self-care look in, in your life? It looks like a delicious dessert. <laughs> um, it's something I've neglected a lot up until the last, probably the last year. So for, for probably the last three years, up until COVID hit, I was travel teaching and having the studio and it nearly killed me. I mean, the end of last year, end of 2019, I had one more, no, I finished in October with my last travel gig in October and I knew I was going to take a big long break. Um, and then COVID hit. So it's been a really big long break, but I was, I was really frayed by that time. And I knew that uh, something was going to have to change for me. So I made a commitment at the end of last year to do more self-care. So I haven't been able to get out and have massages as much as I'd like, you know, while, while we were in isolation down here, but um, just the slowing down that COVID, you know, not having to go to the studio, not having to, you know, even without traveling, all the running around that I was doing that I realized I don't really need to do. Um, it was a huge eye-opener for me. And since, you know, we're in Queensland, we're, we're kind of in this little bubble here. Um, we're, 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 pr we're pretty free to move around here now. Um, I have been able to, you know, get out and do some things for myself. And I had the most amazing kahuna massage last week that was just like a spiritual awakening for me, you know, just realizing how tired my body has gotten and how... Um, how much the business side of everything that's had to happen over these last months has hardened me, you know, and kind of kept me out of the tender places where I like to dwell. Um, so that was a big, that was a big learning for me. That was just a week ago. I'm curious to know, it's a bit of a spontaneous question for you. For anyone listening that has ever considered or maybe considering opening up a yoga studio, what would be a little piece of uh, wisdom or truth or something that you would like to share, which is, you know, helpful just to those of us that, you know, may never have a studio but may attend a studio just to have that insight because it's it's big and yeah, it's, yeah, it's big. <laughs> There's so many different little bits of advice and a lot of it depends on on what your goal is in having the studio. For me, my goal was always to create community. And, and, a, and a place for education, because I really wanted to replicate as close as I could the kind of education that I got. 
And when I, when I arrived in Brisbane, I was teaching and I was traveling around Australia a little bit and teaching on Asara and doing different things. But I, I wanted to plug into a community here and I just wasn't finding it. And back then, gosh, this was 2009, so 11 years ago, there, were, there was a handful of studios. I mean, four maybe, hardly any. And I just, I was not finding that kind of uh, family feeling that I was used to where, I, you know, back in the States. And um, I complained about it a lot to my husband, <laughs> to Lane. And finally one day he's just like, why don't you just make one? And I was like, no, you know, I couldn't do that. And, you know, long story short, I did eventually make one. <laughs> the goal was always let's build it, let's create a yoga community. So, for me personally, that's what it was always about. And if you can, if you can create a place where teachers want to teach and students want to hang out and you've got, you know, you've got a mission that's contributing to your community, then you've got, you've got a recipe for success. You do need to, you do need business skills. I didn't have any when I first started. I didn't even know what GST was, and that's the truth. The ATO called me one day, and I had registered for GST, and I didn't need to those first couple of years. And I'm like, they're like, you owe us $5,000. I'm like, what? Like, I, <laughs> honestly, God, I didn't know. So I've, I've learned a lot, but you, need, but you need to have either business skills or an advisor who can help you with that side of things. Um, but just remember that it's about yoga studio is about service in my mind. It's, and that's the way it works the best is when you look at your offering, your teaching and what you're, what you're building as a service or as service, you know, to the people that you're entrusted with. I think that's the way it works the best. It's really beautiful because everything that you've said about your intention behind the studio and creating that community is the experience that I've seen and had when I've been up there in Brisbane at the studio and you really did and, and honestly I actually haven't seen or felt that much in Australia and I think it's probably I humbly share my thoughts on uh because obviously I've never had a studio of my own but um I think it's probably even more difficult now because there are so many studios and so many teachers and I'm yeah. that feeling is probably even more important to hone in on if that's what you really want to create because it's just so easy for people to to just sort of hop around and go to lots of places now and so it's it's harder probably to get that cohesiveness of a community yeah you have to you you have to build it i mean and there are, there are things involved in that like you have to answer your emails promptly and you have to be available you know when i first moved here um that was one thing that people said to us all the time. I mean, coming from Chicago where we're boom, 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 you know, like we're on everything all the time. I was like answering emails within an hour and people were like, I can't believe you got back to me so fast. And they're just like, that's just customer service. You know, that's just taking care of your, taking care of your clients. It's interesting because there's a, there's a real change when you go from a student to a teacher, mm. you know, that you don't even expect. You can't actually fathom how your experience of yoga will change when you start to be a teacher in yes. wonderful ways and, and also ways that, you know, may not be as wonderful and you can never yeah. get that back, that student feeling back. You can't right. quite take the teacher's hat off. And then I can imagine that it would be then the next level up again when you own a studio. It's like this next layer of how your experience changes and how it's never going to go back, you know? Like yeah, it's a I never stepping stone. I never thought about it like that, but that's that is really true. Um, yeah, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes, and if I can just give the local studios a plug, like 
guys, you got to support your studios, <laughs> you know, if, especially right now, because everybody's open and we've got social media and we all need to make it look pretty and tie it up with a little bow. But I'm telling you, studio owners are struggling right now. And if you want your local studio to stay open, you have to go to class and you have to buy the pass, you know, otherwise I think the new year is going to, is going to bring a lot of studios closing. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely for all industries, I think been a, a big time for reassessment and change and Absolutely. in many good ways, in many wonderful ways, you know, yeah. um, but in some ways that we would never, ever have imagined, you know, no, no. so, okay, let me ask you a few little random questions. If okay. I may. <laughs> All right. So I would love to know what is your favorite sound? I, oh gosh, that's such a hard one. All right, I'm going to go with the first thing that came to my mind. The bird song here in Queensland. Like, where I come from, you have like two birds a year. <laughs> I mean, I'm exaggerating, but everybody who comes here from Chicago notices it. Like, the just the, the symphony that the birds create here, I, I really love. I also love to hear the sound of my family laughing together. Um, I love music you know the obvious things mm, mm. Yeah. it's funny because um just you mentioning the bird song that's how i feel when i go to india because i'm seeking nature i'm seeking like evidence of life uh, yeah. beyond human life and uh, you come back to australia and yeah you notice how incredibly blessed we are with the fresh air and yeah the the bird song in the mornings and the evenings and it's yeah it's magnificent yeah so uh, what would be your favorite place um, I don't probably, I don't think I have one favorite. I love to travel. I love to see new places. Um, but I also love home. So I think, I think home is probably my favorite place. What is your daily non-negotiable? <laughs> Movement. And it doesn't have to be yoga. It's not always yoga. Um, I'm a really avid walker. I have a 10 month old border collie puppy that requires it. And um, I love to hike. I, I do some mobility training with a really, really interesting mobility trainer here in Brisbane. Um, I practice yoga. So yeah, it's a daily non-negotiable. I've got to be moving, moving my body somehow. And the older I get, the more non-negotiable that becomes, ironically. What's your favorite meal or food? So there's this pizza that I make <laughs> that's just um, pesto. So there's this guy at the, at the markets we have here. He calls himself the Pasta King, and he makes this homemade basil pesto. That's incredible. So it's just the pesto and then some Parmesan cheese and then like five cups of rocket on top. And that's probably one of my, fav my all-time favorite things to eat. Wow. Cake is the that other one. I, I do like cake. That's my other favorite food. <laughs> Great balance. And then what would you say you are curious about in life right now? I'm curious to see what the future holds. I think we all are at the moment. Um, there are some big changes happening in my life right now as, we're, as we speak um, mm. that I feel are going to open doors that would not have otherwise opened for me. Um, so... I am, I am really looking forward, 
with curiosity and with excitement, actually, kind of to see what the next era ends up turning out yeah. to be. Yeah. In light of this, what 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 does the future hold that you're aware of? Because you've taken a lot of stuff online, obviously during COVID, and you've yeah. been doing some beautiful stuff on Instagram with Teacher Tuesdays and <laughs> all this beautiful stuff, and you've taken Shri online. So, yeah, what are you putting into motion? Well, yes, to all of those things. And I mean, by the time this goes out, the news will be out anyways, that I am closing the studio. So we we did reopen uh, just back in August and I was able to negotiate a really sweet rent, very cheap rent in a space that was empty and needed no work. It was a bar studio before, like a ballet bar studio. So we just basically brought our stuff in and opened up. We didn't have to do any fit out or anything like that. So the deal was he could continue to show it and I could have it, but either both of us got just 30 days notice to get out of the arrangement. So the, the rent was really cheap. And knowing that a lot of people were still working at home, my studio has always been in the middle of the city. We decided to try it. And as it turns out, there just are not enough people in the city. So I've decided that it's, it's time to close and it's time to end that era, um, sadly. But also, also with excitement, because what I have been wanting to do, as you know, Amy, is um, really focus my personal work on working with teachers. So continuing to train new teachers, but even more importantly than that, offering, um, offering training for existing teachers. And, and not just training, but community. Um, we, I know so many teachers in the work that I've done now, or so far, have said, I feel like an island. You know, I think we go into it thinking we're going to be the part of this awesome tribe of, you know, like-minded people. And then we get out and we start teaching and we're like, where, where is everybody? Where are my peers? So um, that's one thing I'm really excited about uh, getting going. And yeah, we've got, we've got the, the studio is online now. And because we're not going to have a physical space in a, like a, a house for our community, my idea is to open this portal that I've created um, to other other teachers, you know, teachers from all over, so that we can take the difficulty because it's not easy to get professional videography done, and and you know we've got a setup now, kind of like a yoga glow kind of setup where you can filter it by um, by teacher or by style or by duration or by um, focus, that kind of thing, and so any number of teachers could be on there from all different styles and, and have a place where they can send their students to see, you know, have a sampling of what they're doing online. So that's the idea um, that we're working on with that. So, that's we so shall exciting. See. Yeah. It's yeah. Exciting. I, it's a real, it's a very bittersweet time because I, you know, as much work as the studio has been, it's been a total labor of love and I've loved every single minute you know, of the, you know, the highlights, like some of the things that you've come to and, um, you know, as well as the harder times, you know, it's all just been part of the ride. Mm. You're, I think you are very much the glue. You're helping to bind and bring people together. And you did that, at, you know, in the studio, but it sounds like that's the next step is to really do that uh, in a broader way you know bring people together that aren't necessarily in the brisbane community but you know um 
create that cohesiveness because yeah you're right as you say as yoga teachers we kind of we train and we start teaching and then and it's very difficult now I think uh, because there are so many people who are teaching yoga and whilst there's many people that still haven't found yoga and there's still lots of opportunity it, it's tricky because you know you've got to pay the bills and you've got to survive and uh, it's yeah and I think that doing what you're really doing is going to be incredibly wonderful to bring people together and have that sense of unity and support uh, yeah. very much because it can feel sometimes teaching teaching can feel like a bit of a competitive terrain too absolutely um, absolutely and it's beautiful like when I get teachers together for I'm doing these things that we've called teacher tune-ups um, and you know you just get a group of teachers together and the first couple of times I did it, I, I had, you know, all this content plan, but really what I found is that people just want to talk. Like they just want to share experiences. They want to feel, they want to feel connected. And I'm happy to facilitate a space like that. That, I mean, that's kind of always been what I've been about. So if this is a way to do it on a different plane, you know, then I'm, I'm, yeah, it'll be fun. I look forward to it. I'm very excited to see what comes of it. That sounds yeah. really, really awesome. Uh, I would love to love for you to share uh, where people can find you. So, what's the best website, social media? <laughs> well, I'm on. So, I've got the Shri stuff. So, it's Shri Yoga Brisbane, and I think the teacher training will still be called Shri. Um, I haven't decided about what the online portal will be, but that's you can find us on Instagram or Facebook that way. Um, and also myself. So I'm just Julie Smerden on Instagram. And that's more my stuff. And the, when the studio closes, I'm not sure how we'll work those two, but either one is, either one is good. Um, I'm Julie Smerden Yoga on Facebook. Um, juliesmerden.com is my website. And shriyoga.com.au is the Shri site. Your website's beautiful, by the way. Oh, thank you. So lovely. Thank Love you. it so much. Well, thank you so much for your time, Julie. I uh, I wish we lived closer. I do too. <laughs> but now that you're taking everything online, I can get the the Julie juice. It'll be great. It'll oh. be wonderful. And I can't wait to see what unravels. I feel so happy for you. I know it must be a really challenging time of transition yeah. um, that I can't imagine. But uh, I'm thrilled and I'm really happy that, you know, the Australian community will get a bit more access to your experience and your education and your contribution it's really important and what you're creating is just yeah so special and kind of unique in the Australian community I think um so yeah so thank you very much for your time today it's, it's been, been such an a pleasure honor. to chat to you thank you so much for having me if this episode was of value to you and your life please subscribe and if you can think of someone who would benefit from this dialogue please do them a favor and send it their way if you feel called, hop on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. This is the best way to get these conversations into the ears and hearts of our wider community, to those who need it most. You can find me at amyelandry.com or over on Instagram at amyelandry. May we all move a little closer to a life living in alignment. <laughs>